Welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, aging, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoyed listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Hi everyone, thank you for listening today. Today I have a great topic of conversation, money. Who would have thought that money and sex are intimately connected? So I have the very fabulous Tamara Lee here to talk to me today about money. Hi Tamara, how are you? I am good, thank you. So excited to be here today. Oh, it's going to be a good conversation. I can feel it. Um, (laughs) So money, the reason that I wanted to do this conversation, one thing that that has struck me doing um, this deep coaching work that both Tamara and I do is that I think about relationships, particularly in midlife, a lot of people, because we're going through so much change, And the two things that people don't seem to be able to talk about, which seem to break up their relationship, are money and sex. And I thought this was, you know, I think we all know this. Well, maybe not, but when we think about it, we realise that often that is what causes a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. And there's a deep connection underneath. But before we get into talking about that, because I think it's really interesting, Tamara, tell us a little bit about you and how did you, what has been your path? Because you've got a bit of an interesting story. Mm-hmm. And why did you choose, you know, when we did our coach training, I was like, wow, wow, she's being a money coach. Okay, that's interesting. Like, how, tell, tell us about how that all came about. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I just actually quickly, I did a session earlier today and the, the person I was working with, she already like shared a story about me. And in it, she was like, y'all, Tamara is a magical money witch. (laughs) Wow. Let me talk about where I'm from and why I just shared that. Yeah. I'm a good old Midwestern girl from the middle of the United States in like the corn belt, you know, flat earth, cows, pigs, chickens. I'm about as sensible as they come from a very like, you know, sensible family growing up in the Midwest, hard workers. And so the fact that I am speaking of myself in this moment and calling me a magical money, witch would not have been anything in my youth or childhood (laughs) that would ever come about. So I'm very tickled in this moment. And I just might be introducing myself going forward as Tamara, the magical money, witch. I think it suits you. I like it. Um, So I guess I kind of like to start my story where I kind of just go, yeah, I mean, I I grew up in Iowa, middle of the country here in the United States, pretty, pretty like just practical people. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I remember growing up, my mother taught me was how to balance a checkbook. Mm. So at age 15, and I watched her model for me, like, paying bills regularly. Like I watched my mother do those things growing up, but at age 15, she sat me down and she showed me how to balance a checkbook. 
And that has lived with me to this day. I do not not know how to balance or look or engage my money on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, this might be like, oh, what? So in my mid twenties, I filed for bankruptcy here in the United States. Wow. Not because I was just spend thrifty and I was like, I think I'm just going to go spend and just buy stuff. No. That was my first inkling of feeling like I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I was invested in doing work with a multi-level marketing company around health and wellness products. Mm -hmm. And let's just say it didn't go the way we all had hoped it would go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it landed me in a good bit of credit card debt. And so in my mid twenties, I filed bankruptcy. um, And that was very shaming, very blaming, Mm very much my kind of like the tipping point that led me to where I am now. Mm. Now I'm a 50, almost two-year-old woman. So at age 26, this was like, this was it. This was the thing that led me to where I'm at now. But yeah, so going through that, that at a young age and having to, you know, share that news with my parents at some point and acknowledge it and say it out loud um, had a lot of feels associated with it. Mm, I bet it did. Yeah. So the beauty of that is that when you are discharged from a bankruptcy here in the States, one of the things they require you to do is to attend some type of basic money management class through some type of a, what we call them here, a consumer credit counseling service. Yeah. Nonprofit. So 26, I do what I have to do to get discharged out of my bankruptcy. And I go into my money management class, feeling all the feels like, how did I get here? What do I, I don't belong here. What, but did what I had to do, did the class, got the check check box and I got discharged from my bankruptcy. Mm. Never did I know at that moment in time that somewhere down my path years and years later, I would be the one standing in front of the room teaching the class you have to teach to get discharged from a bankruptcy. Uh So that part of the story didn't happen for another, you know, 25 plus years. Yeah. I like looking back on that moment and just thinking like, yeah, I never could have envisioned or saw that happening to me in that moment as I was feeling so much shame and kind of like blame and humiliation about how did I, how did I get myself stuck into this predicament? Yeah. 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 Wow. Life's funny. Hey, in the circles. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yeah. So from there, let's just say my twenties and thirties were just about work. I was a Jill of all trades, graphic designer, worked mm-hmm. for a lot of small businesses, wore a lot of hats, hard worker, that Midwest work ethic again, kicked in for me. Mm-hmm. And then I moved across the country. I moved over to um, Asheville, North Carolina about 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And somehow I connected with someone here who worked at a consumer credit counseling service. We became friends. She said that they had an opening. I was like, you know what? I've been feeling this different pull to me, something more aligned with money than my graphics background. And I had noticed that in my in my 30s, but I didn't know exactly what it meant. I just knew... Something else was bubbling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so next thing I know, I'm interviewing at a consumer credit counseling service. 
I begin working with them entry level as just an admin. And within a few years, I'm one of their financial educators. I'm running their women's financial empowerment center coordination classes, events. Um, and now I'm a financial educator and I'm teaching the bankruptcy discharge class that they all have to take in order to get discharged. Wow. And I know exactly what they're feeling and thinking because I've yeah, been with yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting story. Yeah. And what led you into coaching? Was it just a natural so, extension of that work? Yeah. So after working there for five years, I wanted to be able to take the work deeper. Mm-hmm. And that's when I found our teacher, Layla Martin. And really, quite honestly, I didn't necessarily know it was going to take me to coaching. I just knew I loved watching her weekly five-minute video vlogs about sex. And I was like, well, she's cool. I like her. She seems like she's got something going on. Wow. She's very vibrant and passionate. And, you know, so for probably a year and a half, I just watched her stuff, not thinking anything, just I'm going to watch her videos. Yeah. And then she announced a certification program. Yeah. And I didn't have to think twice. I was like, Oh my God, she literally just built what I think I've been looking for, but I didn't even know I was looking for it until she built it and then offered it to all of us. Yeah, I understand. So then there we go, you and I in year two, 2018 cohort. And then that changed my life, that whole path of being in her, you know, her container, learning everything she taught us, and then choosing me to go into financial the financial piece of the coaching process, but using some of the sexuality tools we learned too. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Like, what do you, what, how do you do that? And what, you know, people people probably think, you know, the money coach, you're teaching the nuts and bolts stuff, which you do in the consumer credit organization. Right. But, but what you and I have learned is that there's, it's the whole relation, like, we have a relationship with money, don't we? Can yeah. you talk, tell us a little bit about that? Because people yeah. are probably thinking, what do you mean you have a relationship with money? Yeah, you know, as you even ask me that, I guess I'm trying to think of the first time I actually started using that languaging and saying having a relationship with money, because now it seems so, of course, of course I speak about it that way, but most people have never heard of it that way. So I'm trying to even think back to when I started using it. I'm I'm sure it's been quite a while ago, but what I realized is whenever we think about all the other important relationships in our life, parents, friends, family, work, and we think about why we're successful or why we get joy and pleasure out of them. It's not hard to realize that the more time you spend, the more interest you have, the more successful you are with that. Mm. So somewhere in my financial education, that probably just came out as I began teaching more and more about this, that this is not like, this is the same as any other relationship. It literally is. And what I, what I watched in my classes was how people didn't want to look at it. They wanted to ignore it. They wanted to push it away. They wanted to pretend like it wasn't happening to them. And I was like, how's that working out for you? And they're like, it's not going it's not working out for me. Hence yeah. me being class, Tamara. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'd say probably the number one thing 
that's kind of the underpinner of all the work I do is really helping people to like see money as another type of relationship in their life. And if they want to cultivate it, nurture it, understand it, it's going to take some time, some willingness and some curiosity. Yeah. 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 So, but how do you, yeah. So if we think about what underpins, so the thing that comes up for me when I think about this is around safety. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think, well, there's a relationship between us feeling safe and our relationship with money. There's a relationship between us feeling safe and, and sex. Yep. Can you talk about that a little bit and explain yeah. How that works. Well, you know, first of all, being in the container we were in for that year and really, really, really having a solid understanding of the feeling safe around sex piece. I mean, it just yeah. became to be so clear, so clear. So if I feel safe in my body, in my home by myself, that's one thing, but then how do I feel when I'm with another person sexually in a relationship or partnership? Oh gosh, I notice I don't feel safe. Why what's yeah. happening? Yeah. So I feel like that really helped train me to understand better that others are experiencing the same thing with their money life. It just, it shows outside in the world differently and they don't ever correlate what's happening in the world to, I don't feel safe. They're judging themselves and saying more things like, I don't know why I can't stick to a budget. Mm. I don't understand why I just keep overspending. I mean, I just can't keep money in my pocket. I'm not even living my life anymore. I'm literally hoarding money. I can't save enough. So that's that is your extremes, right? Like, yeah, these I'm are all my big extremes. I'm a spendaholic or a saveaholic. Yeah. 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 And so then we begin to go, well, why? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, why do you think you are doing any of these behaviors? Oh, and then they judge themselves. Mm. Right. Then we're going to get real judgy and shamey with ourselves. And so then that covers everything up. And then it's like, why can't I just figure this out? I keep trying. Well, because we still haven't actually got to the root of it. Mm. What do you mean? We haven't gotten the root of it. Well, what's underneath the fear and the shame? Yeah. I don't know. Safety, possibly. Let's play with that idea and let's just see what happens. And so then it becomes more of like an education and an awareness of like, this is actually what's happening. And now we have to kind of show it how it's happening for you. And then we can kind of solve for it. Yeah. But so many people are going around wanting top, what I call like a topical solution. Show me the best budget to use. It's a, And those skills are important, right? Aren't they? They are important skills, but they're, you know, kind of dealing with, I'm just trying to think of an appropriate metaphor, but I guess it's sort of that iceberg stuff, isn't it? You know, you're just seeing the top really of what's going on and everything underneath. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I like that analogy. Yeah. There's so much more going on underneath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just something that's come up for me as you're talking about that is, um, you know, a lot of women, and, and I guess the memory that I have, I remember about probably about 10 or no, it'd be, yeah, 10 years ago, a lady was murdered in Melbourne where I live. Mm-hmm. 
And there was women on the streets like going crazy over this. We were overseas at the time, so we sort of missed it all happening and we came back and there were, yeah, women protesting around why should we feel unsafe on the streets, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, that's sort of the gist of it. And this was sort of happening in other places around the world at a similar time. And I'm just curious, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Because a lot of women, because of the culture that we live in, they don't feel this sense of safety. So in their family system, they may have received that. But just being out and about, it feels Mm -hmm. like an unsafe environment. So what are your reflections on that in terms of how that shows up in their money life? Hmm. Yeah. So I guess it's the I'm talking about the cultural elements more than anything here rather than the family system driving a lot of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing that's popping into my brain as you kind of asked me that question is because we live in a patriarchy. Right? We live yeah. in a patriarchy that push push push, work work work, hard 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 we get so used to that and we amp up the nervous system to be prepared for that. Mm. Like we're prepared for battle. Yes. Really most of the time, whether we know it or not. Yeah. The time that I notice that we possibly experience safety is a lot of times once we've let that guard down. And so I'll just give a really easy example. Like um, I used to have a boss And she was really a powerful force and just got a lot of stuff done. But anytime she took a vacation, she would always get sick. Yeah. Every time, like spot on, because that was what was allowing her nervous system to relax, come down. And then what happened was, oh my God, because she was so depleted, she took down her barrier, took off her armor, she'd get sick. She was in warrior warrior mode all the time. Yeah. She was always thinking about her, her coworkers, her staff, how to manage this, how to make this happen, how to take care of the business. Right. So many things. Yeah. And so if we just kind of like take that example and pull it into like just our family day-to-day structure, people have families, people have children. We just went, we're going through a pandemic. When is the first time we've ever all together felt so unsafe that on a global level really is the pandemic. And what I started Mm. noticing is everybody wants to feel safe and all they're doing is trying to make their best decisions from a place, whether they know it or not, of I want to feel safe. And so that could be politically speaking, that could be mask or no mask speaking, that could be Mm. if I'm going to leave my house or not leave my house, right? But ultimately we want to be safe and we're going to make all of our decisions from safety. And if we don't feel safe, then that's when bad behavior set in, (laughs) you know, that's when we're not being maybe our most authentic self. Yeah. Um, That's when we can be influenced in some other way that maybe we wouldn't have been otherwise. And so when we take that around money, you know, I'm just busy. I got other things to do. I don't have time to be creating a relationship with money. I don't have time to, you know, coach around money. I, I got way too many other things to do right now. Too I don't many have time. Well, just anything. I don't have time to do coaching. I don't have time to invest in myself. I don't right. have time to do my daily pleasure practice. I don't have time to right. um, you know, go for a walk in the morning. 
Mm -hmm. I got stuff to do. Yeah. So I think that piece about, you know, time and being busy uh, helps to push away that ability for us to be able to connect with our money. And the funny thing is, is if you, I did this exercise with my brain the other day, from the time you get up to the time you go to bed, if you pay attention to how many decisions you are microly making on any level at any moment, I bet you it has something to do with money. I don't care what it is you're thinking. If it's time, I don't have time to do it. Time, time and money, right? If I need to go run that errand, how far am I going? How much gas am I going to use? Got to go buy groceries. I don't get paid until Friday. Um, a bill just came in the mail. I'm going to pay it or I'm not going to pay it. Oh, I just saw an ad for internet and cable. They have a special, I don't know. Should I, should I look into that? Should I try to save myself money? Oh, I don't like my clothes. Like literally almost everything we do in a day-to-day level has, there's money in it some way, somehow, whether we want to see it or Absolutely. I I don't know if your bank does this, but one of the banks that I bank with sends me a text message or like a message on my phone every time money goes in or out of my account. It's like, actually, like, why did I turn that on? I don't need to see that every no. five seconds. Do you know, like, because you know, yeah. subscription direct debits, it's actually my business account. So every time, you know, like a bill gets paid, I'm like, oh. but in a way it's good. I'm like, okay, good. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Yeah. But it's yeah. somewhat annoying. Yeah. So you're right. It is every second of the day even um i'll tell you something funny since covid because we were paying with um card or your phone for everything people weren't take paying cash i don't know if it was the same in the u.s because of transmission of germs there's not a lot of cash around mm-hmm. okay and of course you know i have teenagers so one has a part-time job so he's got a a, a card so he can you know i could put money in his account but the younger one, you have to have be 14 in Australia to have an ATM card. So he's nearly 14. Like, when can I get my card? So I'm having to find cash for him all the time. Mm-hmm. And since all of this happened, branches have shut down. They've mm-hmm. removed a lot of the ATMs from the shopping centres. It's not that easy to find places to get cash. It's really yeah. interesting. Well, as we have this conversation around safety, and I'm going to add in sufficiency, I'm going to kind of put those two together as a concept. Um, And plus, there's a beautiful book by Lynn Twist called The Soul of Money, and she talks specifically about safety and sufficiency. So I just. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll put that in the notes. So Um, one of the tools you and I learned in our cohort was about sex magic. Yes. And many a time did we see, as we shared out in our cohort, women rolling on their bed, literally rolling in cash as they did this practice, right? Yeah. To like take in and like create this abundant feeling like on a cellular level and on their skin and roll in cash. Yeah. So one of the things I did about a month ago was to like ground me a money coach in safety and sufficiency was I went and pulled a thousand dollars of cash out. Of, which was odd. I haven't pulled cash out hardly at all in the last two years. Yeah, yeah. And I literally have four $100 bills hanging above my desk as a reminder that I am safe and I am sufficient. 
I have $100 that I stuck in my wallet that I am safe and that I'm sufficient. Interesting. And then I literally did sex magic and I rolled in my, in my cash and my twenties and my fifties and my one hundreds as that same practice. So when we talk about sex and money, right? (laughs) Safety and sufficiency. We learned some pretty amazing tools in our certification around how to kind of like, you know, uniquely combine those in witchy like practices. Yeah. Without going into too much detail, sex magic is a tantric practice. Mm-hmm. And think of it like a, a body meditation, but using your sexual energy to bring in what you want, essentially, isn't it? Yep. Doesn't yep. have to be money, can be anything. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's a meditation and a manifestation tool and a self-pleasuring tool. It's pretty cool, actually. Mm -hmm. So one thing that you've explained to me that you work on with people is about looking at their sense of self-worth and also how they feel about what they deserve in their life and how that impacts on their money relationship. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because, yeah, we, I mean, we both know that it shows up so many different ways and it can be, you know, how your self-worth is created comes from family systems. It comes from the culture that we live in. There are many influences contextually, aren't there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I'm working with a client, there are some certain sessions that I'll have with them. And one of those sessions I have is a guided session around this feeling of like, let's check in with you and money and maybe where you are feeling lacking of deserving of your best financial life, or maybe not feeling worthy enough of your best financial life. And so we do a very specific exercise that helps kind of guide us to find out where, where they are for themselves. And I'll even throw in the word enoughness sort of like worthy, deserving enoughness. They all have a a similar flavor Mm. to them. And so I'll share again, how they manifest in the, in our world. So uh, when somebody is building a business, for example, and they're undercharging, Mm. right. And so you and I are coaches. We obviously charge for our services Uh, and so one place where we might want to look, if there's a feeling of not feeling worthy, deserving enoughness is, is, is that area, because we're seeing that you might be undercharging. You you might not be, but we're going to check into it based on what you feel, what feels true for you. See if any memories pop up for you, other experiences where you were feeling unworthy in some way. Um, so I see it in that particular example. I I mentioned overspending. So I'd say that's a pretty big one that we might want to look at if that's a behavior that's not serving you. Oh, really? Why do you want to get rid of the money so fast? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's sort of like, I can't hold it in my system, isn't it? It's like, it's got to get out. Yeah. I just, I just got to get rid of it. I I can't hold it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we also talked about like, yeah, that hoarding or that underspending, mm. um, where something in the future must be preserved and saved for, but whatever's happening in the present, I can't, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm just going to skip the present, give it up, but I'm going to look to my future, 
which is a very painful place to be. It might seem logically like, wow, somebody just wants to look out for their future and have their best future. Like, I get that. Like, plan for retirement, put savings away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But when it becomes a place where you've stopped living your life and you've exchanged it for what may or may not happen in the future, we have to kind of check in with that and just ask, like, what's going on? Like, why are you not worthy of your most best present life using some of the money you you have Mm. for the now? Mm. What's going on? So those are some ways that I'll see it kind of like show itself up in the real world. Yeah, I'm thinking about the 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 saver and it's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that, like not living in the moment. It's sort of like hoarding for the apocalypse, really, isn't it? The ex- yeah. excessive. I've I've witnessed it several times where I've seen and the 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 potential client or clients have shared that like if you want to see their savings account, it's a huge number, right? You want to see their retirement account. It's a huge number. And yet, you know, they're living on ramen noodles and Cheerios. Oh, really? And old, older clothes because they're so, you know, worried about their future, but they're already living. They're already kind of like experiencing sort of the current worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Right hoping that, but, but if I just save, it'll, it'll be better in the future. So I'll just suck it now. (laughs) (laughs) It sort of reminds me of like, you know, that scenario that happens where when I get to that stage in my life, that's when I'll do it. Like uh, I've seen a lot of women and men that I've worked with so they deny, yeah, so you're talking about in the money context, but just anything in life, I'll deny myself whatever or I won't, I won't invest in myself. Like I won't do that personal development course until, you know, I earn that money or until I get that job or when I do this, this will happen. But, of course, they get to these goals and they hit these milestones and nothing happens. Do you know, like they don't have that feeling of elation or, you know, they get the promotion and they're like, oh, this is not what I thought it would be. Yeah. I mean, it's, if, if you've ever run your own business, I'd say that there's a big learning lesson in that. Like, can you just be okay with where you are in your current status of building within your business? Yeah. It's not about where you're going to get to because whatever you're going to get to is just going to highlight how you've already been treating yourself on your path to get there. Yeah, absolutely. I know when right. I've, um, also, I know because I've been running my own business for about 12 years now and when I have been thinking like, I, like I've invested in myself, like when we did the SLRC course, for example, um, and I had been very unwell before that. So I hadn't been working much and I was like, wow, this is a really big financial investment, but I think it'll be fine. And the following year I had my biggest year ever, mm-hmm. like a multiple six-figure year. It was great. Yeah, there was heaps of money to pay for the course. Twenty times yeah. over, it didn't matter, you know. And yeah, yeah just trusting that okay, it's going to be all right. Yeah. Well, and also because we think somewhere at that end of the destination, it's going to be you know quote better than where it currently is now. Um, 
what I've learned for myself and what I've seen with others is that it really does just highlight more of what's already not working. And so one thing I'll say when it comes to money is I'll say money makes you more of that, which you already are. Yes. So if, if you don't make a big income and you're just by nature, a saver, then if you won the lottery, you would probably have a tendency to save more of that money than spend it because that's just who you are and that's your nature and that's who you've been. So the fact yeah. that you poured more money on it didn't change much. Yeah. Whereas if you're naturally a spender and whatever income you're making, you spend, you give more money, probably going to spend more money. So, so it's, it's that same kind of application. Like if I'm already in the hoarding scenario, not living my life now, because I think the future is going to be better, but then I get to the future. I move the goalpost yeah. more into the future because that's what I've been doing this whole time. I just keep moving the goalpost and it's still kind of like not living, not living, move the goalpost further. Got to have more savings. Don't have enough. Look at that person over there. They have more than me. I'm going to try to save as yeah. much as they have and then I'll be better. Yeah. Well, how I, how I see that show up in the sort of midlife space is that, um, and I've seen this pattern for years, literally. So um, people get to their, you know, to their sort of midlife transition. They're going through so much, moving out of this ego state. I want more. I want more. I just want something more, which is like, you know, it's this connection with their soul right which is like okay this is actually who you are coming through right your real essence of you is like your psyche is like asking you for profound transformation it wants you to be yourself and so they want to make big changes in their life but then you know and they could be earning like mega bucks okay their whole lifestyle is geared around that and they're like usually senior executives, they're very successful professionally and depressed. And and I've seen this in a lot of men in particular, right? I can't change this because I've got all these kids in private school or, you know, all these kids, I've got the kids in private school or, you know, my wife has a lifestyle and I've got this mortgage and I've got a holiday house with a mortgage and I've got blah, blah, blah. So exactly to your point, they have geared it everything around. I'm like, well, you're earning a lot of income. How could you make changes to that so that, you know, we can get you out of this funk of survival into a more thriving state, but also connected with what feels more meaningful and purposeful to you? Yeah. And make their shifters so they they get themselves into what feels to them an impossible state right, right? and that's where I see the and that's sort of how I got into the relationship coaching because I was seeing these people's marriages bust up mm-hmm. and I'm like wow you know they've done really well in their professional side of their life they're very successful on the surface mm-hmm. but they're very unhappy yeah. Very unhappy. And and they're being called to do something else, but they yeah. feel like stuck. So, so stuck. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're those scenarios where you're like, well, money doesn't make you happy. Like they're earning so much money and they're miserable. 
in every aspect of their life, which is why they would come to me. Um, so yeah, you're, that's how it shows up in those scenarios, isn't it? Yeah. Just move the goal. Well, and the other thing I always say when it comes to safety and money, as I say, it's not about the number in the bank. The number doesn't make you safe. Like some people think it does. Mm. Right. And it makes sense. Like, oh my God, if I'm only used to creating, you know, a 50K a year income and I have vision that my business can grow me to 250K, of course I'll be safer because I'll be able to whatever, save more money, blah, 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 whatever, right? Whatever the story is. So I don't feel safe at 50K, but I think I'll feel safe at 250K. Yeah. I'm going to scratch the record. Eek, stop. <laughs> <laughs> if we can't feel safe at 50K, it's shit's going to kick in when we get to two fit and it's going to get worse, which is what you just highlighted for us. Yeah. Perfect example of that. Yeah. Not about the number. It's not about how much is in the bank. Yeah. So it's really a matter of going back and doing the deep work around, you know, whether it's inner child stuff or whatever is making you feel unsafe and working at the level of the nervous system with the unconscious and really like pulling that out really mm. and creating some new neural pathways, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In the last day and a half, I've worked with two different clients and it was interesting when we do that body work, right. And when we kind of like show what's happening inside, like some of those inner pieces. And when I say yeah. inner pieces, I mean, a lot of times it's emotional parts of us that aren't the high vibe emotions or like the positive emotions. They're, they're more like shame. Yeah. Judgment, yeah. Fear. Yeah. Scarcity. Yeah. But Hey, we're a human and we have a lot of emotions and there's That's nothing okay. wrong with those emotions, but two specific clients I have in my memory of just the last 24 hours, both of them got to see an emotional piece of themselves. One saw resentment, one saw shame, and neither of them wanted their brain did not want to accept that this was a, an okay emotion for them to have. And so yeah. they immediately tried to push it away. Yeah. And but like, well, I don't like that. I don't want to be like that. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Right. And so of course we did a little bit more work and kind of like slowed some things down, went into the body a little bit, but I'm like, Anytime we, we look at it from that perspective, I'll always bring some instance of like a little kid into the picture because we yeah. can all relate to wanting to be loving and compassionate and sweet to a small one who is struggling with some of these more hard and challenging emotions. Yeah. And as soon as I did that with the both of them, they both softened, right? They both recognize like, oh, okay, it is okay. I still don't like it, but I get it now because we were talking inner child a moment ago we all have that piece in us that we can resonate of like yeah some love and compassion for those parts that haven't built up their armor yet over the course of 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 40 years there's still them they're like you know those sweet little innocents yeah we all are the sweet little innocents whatever age we're, we're at yeah 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 
that makes a lot of sense. And it, it also, if you're listening, I mean, it just highlights, you know, when you're working at this level and going into the unconscious, like, it, you know, I, I think for a lot of people too, they don't pursue this because it might feel hard. Mm-hmm. But when you're working in a somatic sense, you know, we work pretty slowly, don't we? Mm-hmm. So we create that space and capacity in the nervous system by going slowly and it doesn't feel so grueling. Yeah. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. And you get well, more, you get more is, practice. You get more practice at holding it. Yeah. Is that for those people I was referring to when they're in those moments and they do soften because there naturally is that, mm. that of themselves that then there's this feeling of safety yeah. of, Oh my gosh, I am a human. Oh my gosh. It is okay for me to feel this way. Oh my gosh. And so when we talk about like having a transformative session or like a session where somebody has a major aha, anytime somebody can come into contact with an emotion in the inside of them or something that they've not been wanting to see and address and they can see it for a minute, even to me, I'm like, that's beautiful because so they're coming beautiful. together with that part of themselves, you know, and that's it, it, not- is, it is so beautiful. And it's so beautiful in the moment when you're coaching someone to see their connection with that and also their love and acceptance and of themselves. Right. Yeah. And, and it's empowering. Mm-hmm. I've had many women and men who I've coached through this stuff and they're like, my God, like they just feel, they feel so good after it. And they come back to the next sessions. Like I can do this. Mm-hmm. Like actually next time I get triggered and my inner child gets triggered, I know how to self-soothe. I know how yeah. to reparent. It's so empowering for them, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and I mean, one of the reasons I do the work I do, I'm going to guess it might be one of your reasons too, is that like when you are fully seen with another person who is like sharing your space for a solid hour and really allowing you to explore and really allowing and guiding and supporting you to let those parts of you come out. If you've never been coached before that, that is co- that is coaching that somebody that really is on your team and sees you. Yeah. So whether it's going through transitions, whether it's talking about money, but man, when you get seen like that, that's like heart thumping, it is you know, thumping. wonderful stuff. It's like, do you remember the cartoons? This is what, when we were little. I don't know if it was Bugs Bunny and he used to have the heart coming out of his chest. He's like, whoa. It is like that though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's really special. Mm-hmm. So just changing direction a little bit. Uh, one of the things that you talk about, which I really love, is your what role you're making your decisions from. So you talked about, you know, uh, as an entrepreneur and running your business, the people that you're working with, uh, who, are, who are you managing your business from? Like, is it your inner child making the decisions or is it your inner CEO or is it, you know, another part of you? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I really like the way that you describe this. I think it's really, you know, it's role theory at its best, but it's, it's also these parts like, and, and just building on what we talked about, it's like create, once you create this awareness of these 
different parts of you inside and this kind of acknowledgement of, oh, actually, I'm a multidimensional person. There are many different parts to me. And we know this because we get conflicted sometimes mm-hmm. over decisions because we think, oh, a part of me wants to do this and a part of me. So we know this exists. We have the language around it. And when we start explaining this to people that we work with, they're like, oh, yeah, that really resonates. So you've sort of taken it to the next level, I think, in terms of how it comes out in the the money side. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I really started seeing this with my my, my entrepreneurial clients, women um, who maybe were just beginning their business or maybe they were a little further into their business. And let's just name it. They did not start off their work life as an entrepreneur. So that means they have many years behind them. Yeah. Where they are told what to do. They're a good worker. They're a task rabbit. They're a busy bee. You know, that's what's been molding their brain and their experience for so long. And they know how to build on that success from that positioning. And I'm just going to call that as a staff member positioning. Mm-hmm. Right. So they've built success on being a staff member most of their life. They go in to make their own business. And they're kind of building it from that mentality of tasks, things that have to be get done, da 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 da. Which which I get from a small business perspective because you do have to do yes. everything. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. But then when you want to up level yourself, and you want to go from some level of how much income I've created with my business, and I want to begin to up level, I want to be able to maybe have better processes. And now I'm just behind the eight ball because I'm a task rabbit. I've built something that works, but it's not really serving me when I think about how, how I want my whole life to look as an entirety. So that's when we start to play with, okay, who is your CEO and what decisions are they making or what are you having them make? (laughs) And then that's when we really start to get clear as far as like inner personality pieces who is making your decisions. So we need a staff member to execute and do things. And we also need an inner CEO who is looking out for all parties, who is keeping the staff member safe Mm. and is keeping healthy boundaries for them. So they don't get worn out or burnt out because left to their own devices, the staff member generally is getting burned out because they're trying to do it all. When, when you're in that burned out space, does that inflame the money habits, the, the shine that you talked about before? It can, because what's one of the things that we talked about earlier safety. that people don't want to look at the safety. And yeah. then they're like, I don't have time to look at money. I got yeah, yeah. I have stuff to do. Yeah. So now I'm getting busy, but I don't have time to develop my relationship with money. I don't have time to think high level CEO. I'm just, I'm too busy doing what has to be done given what I've created. And then they're like, wow, this isn't working for me. Like I want to up-level myself and make more money in my business, but I can't because I've locked myself in to this process and staff member is getting burned out. Mm. So in order to speed up, guess what generally has to happen? I have to slow down. Yeah. And I have to start thinking intentionally for the greater good of how do I take care of my entirety business and actually look at it from a higher level versus from employee level or staff member level. Yeah. And that's where the resistance comes in. And that's what we work on. (laughs) 
resistance to changing the habits. Yeah, because at some point the habits are serving them. Yeah. The well, habits they're, are they're wired serving. and it's wired into the system as well. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's very wired. So we're not, there's no shame or blame about any of this, but it's more of like, what's happening? Oh, we created some awareness. Oh, and how do we change that? And just like you were saying, people that built these built beautiful businesses, but they've locked themselves into that lifestyle. God forbid we step back and look at it from a bigger viewpoint and go, wait a minute. It is running me. The tail is wagging the dog. Dog, yeah. And I want the dog to let it wag its tail. I've seen a few entrepreneurs uh, in Australia, actually, like who've like built phenomenal businesses. And one person I'm thinking of in particular, and she was just like wanting to do something different. But her her the her name became so synonymous with the product. Mm. it was hard for her to sell out. So she split it up and sold it off into different bits, like some product stuff that she could, and then shut other bits down and went, yeah, I'm going to go and do something completely different and is a multi-hyphenate talented person. So could mm-hmm. do that, but got to the stage where it was like, uh, it's just too much. Like I don't want, I didn't, I didn't ever want this. I just want to create something that helped me and therefore it helped other people. And it became massive yeah super interesting yeah I I really enjoyed doing the CEO kind of like the staff member work because it really does help give them a sense when I reflect back to them like think about their old bosses and how they hopefully were trying to manage them well and protect them and take care of them Mm. and it just gives them something to kind of look at differently because when we're inside of ourselves it's hard to you know, pull out these pieces and look at them as an outsider could potentially look at him looking at you versus yeah. you being in it being like, well, how do I cut my brain in half and half is CEO brain and half is, you know, staff member brain. What? It's what such a through? skill. It's like being at the balcony versus the dance floor. And how do you continually move between the both of them all the time? Mm-hmm. It's definitely a skill that you need to learn how to do it there's no doubt about it I mean and, and also you know I've worked with um collaboratively with people and um we'll get to the invoicing or the the business the, the contractual site I love all that stuff I'm like all over it and they're like I'll oh, talk to my bookkeeper or like you know invoice my and I'm like what do you mean don't you no, no, I don't do any of that. I just leave it all to my bookkeeper. And I'm like, you're not across all the money stuff? Like, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. How can you be making decisions when you don't know what's going on in there? Right. Yeah. I find it really unusual. I remember years and years ago when Oprah still had her just regular Oprah show. Yeah. I don't know if it was like a behind the scenes or an interview with her or something, but it was something where she basically named what you just said. She's like, I, I am Harpo industry and I have my eye on everything. Like I might not be touching everything to the same degree, but like anything that comes across my desk, that's financial. I'm looking at it. And I'm like, yep. Yep. You have to own it. You have to be paying attention to it all. You don't have to know the knit knit, like everything, like you have your team, but like, if you just decide to like check out of certain parts, well, hope, hope, hope all that works out. Okay. 
right? But but need some kind of a sense of like what's actually happening, some degree. It usually ends awareness. in disaster. Well, yeah. In my experience. <laughs> but but yeah, it's really, really interesting. And I, you know, I get to, you know, I don't mind doing contracts and things like that, but I also understand we have a superannuation here. You would call it a pension fund. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I hate it. Hate it. I, just, I hate the process stuff. I hate process. I, in my business, I have set up everything because I know how I am. I hate process with a passion, having to think about it. So anything that's to do with I automate, have automated everything mm-hmm. so that I don't have to put my energy into making that happen. The technology does the job, but I know what's going on in that. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. I just don't want to do it. Yeah. So when it comes to like the pension stuff and you put a set, I'm like, oh my God, I can't stand this. I get no energy from it whatsoever. But I don't know how much money's in there and what I'm putting in there. I just hate the paperwork side of things. Well, I I kind of get it that people hate stuff. But yeah, it's the Oprah, you know. Yeah. I know what's going on. And I'm not bagging on automation and I'm not bagging on like making things easy and simple. And I'm, I'm not saying you have to know things to the You can't do that, but that's what we're saying, right? Is it actually, that's what it's there for. If that's not your jam, automate it like I have. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But there's a big difference between automating it and sitting with a client and saying like, do you have any idea what your PNL is? And they're like, I have no idea how much money I have coming in every month. I have no idea how much money I have going out. I don't know what my expenses were. I don't know how much I made last year. I'm like, okay, stop. Hold on. Oh, okay. So we, we know where we need to do some work. Yeah. That's different than automating a process that or you know what's going can on. Can you read a PL? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, do you know what a balance sheet is? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about knowing like, okay. I know the number. I know what's going in each month. I know what's going out each month. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Agreed. Such a good conversation. I think we might wrap it up there. There's more things we could talk about, but um, thank you so much. It's been really interesting. And yeah. I am sure that most people who are listening have never thought about what sits underneath their money relationship at all. And that's why we have Tamara here to be your coach. (laughs) Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I'm going to fully own the magical money, witch title going forward. You heard it here on (laughs) the podcast. So I'm just going to own it, but yes, I've so enjoyed our conversation. I'm expecting it to see it on your Instagram profile (laughs) next time. I look. Hey, how can people find you? Tell us about your website and social media and all that stuff. So Instagram and Facebook, and it's just at Tamara Lee coaching. So if you go to those places, um, and then I have a link tree account when that link is on my Instagram. Um, so if you want to see, hear me on other podcasts, if you want to sign up for my free newsletter, um, if you're interested in checking me out as a coach and want to do a free discovery call, that's where we go. We use that link tree account and you can find that on my Instagram page at Tamara Lee coaching. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have forever changed my view on (laughs) (laughs) how exciting money can actually be. But also I think 
you know, what this discussion's highlighted is, you know, when you work at a deep level in coaching, you're not just dealing with your relationships, with sexuality, with self, like it can deal with, there's so much under there that's underpinned by how safe we feel in our body, you know, how um, a connection with other people, our sense of belonging and feeling loved, like it's underpins so many aspects of our life, doesn't it? It does. It does. I love it. Beautiful. Good place to end.